Well, before we read, I want to talk a little bit about a museum with, uh, or museums. Something I haven't seen very much of since I've had children. Uh, well, we do. We see the you know natural history and the aeronautical aeronautical museum um, of uh, space, but as far as like a real art museum or something, uh, we've been like on a twelve-year fast. Uh, we've we've had a few we've had a few opportunities, but you know now we go to D.C. We don't go to the uh, the National Gallery, or when we go to New York, we have to work to make it to the Met. But I think you would know and you'd understand from from your opportunities of being uh, in those museums or anything like it that when you're walking around an art museum and you're looking at paintings, especially oil paintings. Uh, there's, a, there's a correct distance to stand from the artwork. And I don't know what that is. I just know that if you stand too close, what begins to stand out to you is the medium and the technique, not the picture. You see the oil matted on one another. I don't, I don't know the right terms, so don't, don't judge me here. It looks not so good up close, So I'm trying to say. But then if you back way far away, then you begin to miss a lot of the detail that the the painter had. So there's this kind of prime distance where you can kind of appreciate the detail and and take the image, the entire image in. And we're at this place in the story of Joseph where I feel like we can say the picture has largely been painted. We certainly are at an end to the story. This is what we're about what you've heard and what we're about to read is is an end to the story. It's a significant chapter break where we can step back and kind of examine the whole, the whole work uh, for what's been said and really draw some conclusions this morning. And so that's what we're going to do. We're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to examine this painting. If you imagine, this is what you should imagine. Imagine we're in a museum and God has put his paintings on exhibition. This is God's collection of paintings. So over there, there's the fish vomiting out Jonah. And over there is Peter denying. And over there is the empty tomb and... All around you are these different scenes. We're, we're staring today kind of at one of the large wall murals of Joseph. I mean, Joseph is the single largest story in Genesis. So we're going to kind of step back today and look at it. And then we're going to step back a little farther and look at it. And we're going to even step back once more and try to see what we can, we can learn. So before we do that, let's, let's examine the text together. Uh, the last part, I'm going to pick up in the 41st verse of the 41st chapter. And I'll read to the end. And this is just going to kind of put an exclamation point on on, uh, Joseph's life. This is what it says. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath-Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph 
went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sands of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Aseneth, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout the land, Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. I said this is an end to the story. It's not the end to the story. If you've been with us through the life of Joseph, this satisfies the question, what's going to happen to Joseph? That's been looming throughout this entire story. But there are still questions that haven't been answered. What about Joseph's brothers? What about, is there ever going to be a reunion? And when there's a reunion, will there be vengeance? Or will there be reconciliation? The end of the story is still to come. But this is what you might say is an end. A very an obvious kind of resting place in the account. For us to kind of take in what's happened so far. And what we see here in the text is that Joseph has been brought from zero to hero. I mean, he's, he was in prison, and now he is essentially Pharaoh. He has been placed by Pharaoh into a capacity that is almost a co-equal status. Pharaoh has said in the text, Your words are my words. When you speak, it's as though I speak. When you ride through the city in a chariot, it's as though I'm riding through the city in a chariot. When there's a problem that affects my empire, right, this is the greatest empire of mankind. So Joseph is placed in near co-equal status with the single most important human being in the region. That's, and a week ago he was in prison. He was an imprisoned Hebrew slave in Egypt. It's zero to hero. And you see a number of things that kind of confirm this. These are the elements. You see things that have been done to Joseph. So the story kind of describes how Joseph was, was blessed. And then it says, then how the Lord shows up behind the blessing. So you see, he was given a signet ring. He was given new garments of fine linen. He was given a gold chain. He was put in a chariot to ride. These are the things that were done to him. He was brought through the city. Make way, right? A way to demonstrate to all of Egypt that this 
Joseph is an important person. He was given a new name. He was given a wife and a family. Those are all good things. And then the Lord comes behind all that and infuses it with even greater success. So the years of plenty showed up just as Joseph had predicted. That's good for Joseph. Joseph was effective in his plan. He was so effective, they stopped keeping count. That's, on a program as strategic as this, that's a, a funny thing to say. Imagine how much you must have in the storehouses. Just, just say, ah, just put the books away. We're good. You know, they must have said, here's the census in, in the city of Cairo or in the city of Memphis. This is how many people are here. This is how much they need. They must have done all these calculations. Their forefathers built the pyramids a thousand years earlier. They can crunch the numbers, okay? You know, this is how many people, how many mouths. An average person eats this much a day if we sell it for this, blah, blah, blah. At some point, they just said, ah, we're good. Joseph was effective. God gave him children during the years of plenty. During the years of drought, they showed up just as Joseph has declared, which again is a good thing. It validates Joseph. And all of Egypt survives on Joseph's command and authority. Pharaoh sends them to, to Joseph for clarity. So at the most basic level, at the most basic level, we can see this. As we just, if we are standing at the painting... And like as close as is useful, if we're just staring at this portion of this whole mural, okay, so if the whole mural is from Joseph at 17, having a dream and talking about it at the dinner table, and it just extends all the way, if we're just looking at this one part, what we see is the Lord is with Joseph and it ends well. The Lord's with Joseph and it ends well. If we had to look at the narrative and say, well, what does the narrative say about our lives? I don't know what it says about Joseph, but what does it say about us? We might be able to say something like this. I think this would be consistent with all the other works of God in the museum. That if the Lord is with us, it will go well. There's other parts of the story of Joseph that it doesn't go well for him, but it ends well. And as Christians, no matter where you are in kind of the contour or landscape of your life, it's important. This is where our faith and our hope are anchored, is that it will go well. No matter how bad it is now, the Christian hope and aspiration and expectation is, is that at the end of the day, we are brought out of whatever depth you're in, and you are assigned a good and high place with the king. I sometimes think in the life of the church, we feel our poverty more than we feel our Christian wealth. We are rich in Christ. For those who are in the Lord. Let's step back though. Let's step back. So that's, if we're just staring at this one column of text in the scripture, that's probably what we can see. But if we step back, what I want us to do is examine the whole account so far of Joseph. So let's think about the whole thing. What's happened since uh, chapter 36, when we begin, or 37, when we hear about Joseph. So Joseph as a child, as a 17-year-old boy, having these dreams of him kind of lording it over his brothers and then his brothers betraying him. 
of them throwing him in the pit, of them pulling them out of the pit and selling him into slavery. Even though he was innocent of any real wrongdoing, he was sold into slavery, though he was free. Then he was thrown into prison, though he was innocent. And then he was forgotten in prison, even though he was instrumental. This is the story, right? And then finally now he's brought out before Pharaoh, and the Lord is with him. And even Pharaoh sees it. Pharaoh says, it's clear that the Spirit of God is on this man. Why wouldn't we select him? Let's step back. And then if we step back, what, do we, what can we see from the whole story? Here, here are some, some truths, five truths that we can see from this story. The first one, this is what we see in the story of Joseph, and I'll explain how it applies to us, is that the Lord is with Joseph and that Joseph was faithful to the Lord. It's the first thing we see. That's probably the theme of the story is the Lord is with Joseph and Joseph is faithful to the Lord. And I would say this, if we're trying to think, well, what is the truth in our life? You know, what does that mean for us? It's this, the Lord has not abandoned you. To the person in this room who is in Christ and calls on the name of the Lord and yet every circumstance in your life is unfortunate and regrettable and no one would trade with you, it is essential that you hear and trust that God has not abandoned you. He hasn't abandoned you. The Lord is with you. The question may be, are you with the Lord? Here's a second truth that we see. In the account, we see that God's will for Joseph is seen best when you look at his entire life. Okay, so when you're trying to understand God's will for Joseph, it's not best understood in chapter 37 or chapter 39 or chapter 40 or chapter 41, it's best understood when you look from chapter 37 all the way to chapter 41. Ah, that, that in other words, the Lord is telling a story in Joseph's life that has taken half of his entire life to tell. He went in at 17 into this account, and he's coming out now. The famine hasn't even hit, and he's, only, he's 30. So half of his life has transpired, essentially, in the telling of this story by the Lord. Half of his life has been in the dark, as to what is God doing. For us, I would say that the Lord's will for your life is best seen over time. We want to see it now, don't we? We have a bad week. We want to know what God's will for us is because of that bad week. Or you lost a job. You want to know what God's will for you is because you lost a job. Well, I'm here to say, what if the Lord takes the next 15 years you're, what if you're in the dark for the next 15 years as far as the Lord playing his will out? The Lord's with you. You know the Lord's with you. You know he hasn't abandoned you. But we are used, we want a 30-minute kind of episode, a short, brief, short story. That's how we want the Lord to write. The Lord doesn't write short stories. He's not a very good short story writer. He writes novels. He writes large, epic novels. And for us as the Actors and characters in his book can be grueling. The Lord's will in your life can be seen over time. Step out for a second. Step out of yourself and look back and say, right now, especially if you're confused with what the Lord's doing, think, I know I'm confused now, but if you step back and look at your life, have you seen what God's doing? 
Can you see his hand in your life in other places? Can you testify, yes, the Lord is with me? Here's a third thing we can see. Joseph's final blessed position does not resemble the circumstances that led to it. Who would have guessed? Joseph wasn't in prison waiting to be Pharaoh. Joseph, this wasn't the response of like years of visioning for Joseph. For us, we can say this, that your circumstances have very little to do with how your story will end. Your present circumstances have very little to do with how the story will end. This cuts both ways, right? If you are right now living in present, luxurious, comfortable circumstances, it has very little correlation to how the story may end for you. Likewise, if you're in a place where things are not well or not right or not as they should be or not as the world would grade appropriate or you're not at the station or status or place that the expectation of this life has for you, I'm here to say if you're in Christ, it has absolutely no correlation to how this story will end for you. Zero correlation. God has told us how it will end. We have been given our own dream from the Lord, right? Similar to Joseph's, but it's in the word. And the word is, if you remain in me and I in you, you will be with my father in paradise. To him who has ears to let him hear, he will be given the right to eat from the tree of life, which has been placed in the garden. He will be given a mark of Christ and be allowed to dwell. He will be a column in the temple of our Lord. He will be someone, one of the saints around the throne room of the Father. He'll be given a mansion in heaven. He'll be given fellowship with the Lord. All of those promises have been given to us, and they have zero correlation to how your life may be right now. It's important to remember, God writes stories in our lives that people read, not stories that you want to live. You know the ones we want to read are not the ones we want to live. The ones we want to live are boring. The ones we want to read are exciting. That's the third one. Here's the fourth one. Even though Joseph ends up blessed, he didn't know that this was how things were going. This, this wasn't a long-term aspiration for him. It was not based on a vision. He didn't set a goal. He didn't have a five-year plan. None of that happened. Had he known what was in store, I don't think he would have gone. If he'd known, like if he'd gotten those dreams, hey, one day your brothers will bow to you, and then he got in a third dream, which was, and by the way, when you go to find them, when your dad sends you, they're going to throw you in a pit, sell you to slave traders, will trade you to the Egyptians, then you'll get thrown into prison, for years and years and years and years and years, and then you'll be pulled out and you'll be richly blessed in all of Egypt. I happen to, I, I'm suspicious if it was me that I might not have gone to see my brothers. I would say, well, what, I'll just take my chances and go totally off road from the dreams of the Lord. I don't know if he would have gone. Remember, he starts the story immature. And Joseph doesn't really make a lot of decisions here. The only real decisions that Joseph is making throughout the account here is how will I respond to what the Lord has allows to happen to me? So the Lord has the circumstances in his hand and Joseph has his response to what happens in his hand. 
And I would say for us, we'd say this. We do not write our story. We merely respond to it. You know, everybody graduating high school, you get some valedictorian telling you you're the master of your own fate. Meh. Meh. Not so much. Life happens, and you get to respond to it. And sometimes you get to control a little bit here and a little bit there. But life happens. If you've been given a choice, I think many of us would opt for comfort and mediocrity over the plans that the Lord has for us. In fact, I think many of us have prayed for it. Lord, not your will, but mine. And I think the Lord has answered your prayers for many of you. Okay. Comfort and mediocrity. Here's the fifth one. Fifth and final one. This is a story of what God has done for Joseph. The Lord is with him. This is a story about what God has done for Joseph. We call it the story of Joseph, but by this point, by the time we're in the 41st chapter, anyone who's been reading or paying attention knows that Joseph is only where he is because the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. That's the emphatic truth of the entire account. In other words, Joseph is the front man for a story of God. Joseph's the fall guy for God to describe himself, to say, if I am the Lord of your life, if you are in my promise, this is what I can do with you. Look at Joseph. But this is an account of the Lord in the life of Joseph. To which I would say this about us. God wants your life story to be about him. Right now, you may be saying, well, my life's not very meaningful. It's pretty lame, boring. I don't have any one of those God stories. I don't even have a good testimony because I came to Christ in eight, eight years old, so I never did anything bad, nothing colorful. And the Lord can still work on all that. Some of you may be saying, well, it doesn't really feel like a God story, and, and maybe, it, maybe it isn't. Maybe you've been living the life of Judah and Tamar. Remember, that is a chapter that's injected in this. In other words, here's the story of Joseph, someone who stays with the Lord and does with the Lord. And over there is the story of Judah and Tamar, someone who goes off on his own and does his own thing. I mean, maybe, maybe that's your life. So I, I want to leave that open. But if you're with the Lord, you're living a story that he's writing with you. And I know you can't see it. I know you're close. But over time, as you'll be able to step back, you'll see what he's done. And it's, it's hard to see this. This is, this is what we can know, though. This is what we can know. I seriously doubt that God is orchestrating all your days, that he's determining the circumstances of your entire life, that he's helping to write your story and bringing things in and out of your life. I seriously doubt that he's doing all of that so that people might know you a little bit better. You're chaff. You are here today and gone tomorrow. Imagine in God's calendar. You are a blip. You're like grass that grows and is cut. This is the Bible talking. 
Do you honestly think the Lord's pouring all this effort into your life so that people can know you? God is trying to describe himself, his eternal personhood, through your finite life to a world around you. That's what he's doing. He's using your life to demonstrate and proclaim himself. Ultimately, this is this, the story of all God's children should testify to who Christ is and about what Christ has done. That's the goal. Right? If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, if the Lord is with you and you are with the Lord, if you, if you claim to know Christ and him crucified and you claim the hope of the resurrected Jesus, then your life should tell that story in small ways, not in big ways, but in small ways, maybe big ways. You're allowed to have a big way. We should be a gospel people. And I think you may feel intimidated by that. Like, well, look, my life doesn't feel that gospel because of look, the sin of my life or how I'm not good at this or I'm not good at that or I don't read my Bible. Just a second. Step back a second, okay? You're staring at your own painting too closely. Step back. In fact, step way back, way back, just to look at the overall story your life is telling. If you step as far back as you can where, where the, flaws, the flaws of your life kind of get muted and where just the major ideas of your spirit and walk and life and the decisions you've made and the course of your life, is that talking, is that a redemptive story of what Jesus has done? Don't get bogged down in the details of the medium and, and the texture and all that. Look at, step way back and look at your life. Is God, is God in that story? But I want to do this. I want to do this very quickly with Joseph and then see that we can do it with ourselves. If you imagine that the story of Joseph is a big mural on the wall in this museum and God's exhibits, I want you to step back so far that you can see the story of Joseph, but in the corner of your eyes you can see the other the other paintings of God. So you see Moses stepping onto the dry land of the Red Sea. And you can see, over there, you can see the sun halted in, in the middle of the day for Joshua. And over there, you can see uh, the, Jesus calming the waters uh, on the lake. And over there, you can see the feeding of the 5,000. And there's the Sermon on the Mount. And there's Paul the Apostle, who's testifying in Athens. And over here is is the people in the church of Rome receiving the gospel of the book of Romans from Paul and reading it and understanding his grace. And all these different murals step back just far enough that you can see the story of Joseph in context with the whole scheme and compass of God's revelation for us. So now we're looking at the picture of Joseph in light of the bigger idea of what God's done, and this is what you can see, right? You're too, you're too far away to see the detail, but this is what you can see. You see this, that God's promise in the story of Joseph came to an unexpected young man, someone that people would not have guessed, that God brought him a promise that he would glorify him one day, and that his, this young man's own people, though they knew the promise, they chose not to accept the promise and, in fact, turned and betrayed their own flesh and blood. 
that they threw him in a pit and denied him and that they handed him over to people who were not of his family and that these people, even though he was innocent, took him and betrayed him even more deeply into the prison and so that even though he was innocent of all wrongdoing, both his people and a foreign people rejected and denied him and sentenced him to the deep. That's the story of Joseph. And you see that Joseph, though innocent of all wrongdoing, went to prison. Until the Lord who was with him called him out. And then you see that Joseph is brought to the highest place. And then he's exalted above all of the people. And he's given a new name. A name that at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. That he's placed up high and that through him all the earth is blessed. Every nation, tribe, tongue, and people can come and receive the bountiful blessing that is provided through Joseph. Is this a familiar story? Our lives should tell the story of the gospel. Now, maybe not in that profound a way. I mean, this is a work of art. But in our own way, in our own way, I'm not saying your life needs to be the narrative of the work of Jesus Christ, but your life should at the very minimum be a narrative of the power of Jesus Christ in your life. When someone looks at your life, do they see someone who has a heart after vengeance, or do they see someone who has a heart to forgive? When they look at your life, do they see someone who has a heart for justice all the time? Justice, 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 justice. Or do they look at someone and see this guy prefers mercy over justice? Do they look at someone who thinks they're perfect, or do they look at someone who is embracing what it means to be profoundly forgiven? I'm not saying that you need to be a work of art like Joseph. I just want to know, would you be in the collection of God's artwork? If the Lord is with us, and if we're with the Lord, our life story should be about him. Amen.